Welcome to the Content Pros Podcast, where we unlock the strategies and secrets of the best content marketers in the world and ask the questions you've always wanted asked. Content Pros is sponsored by predictive content analytics software, Inbound Writer, and online proofing and collaboration platform, ProofHQ. Now here are your hosts, from Oracle Marketing Cloud, Chris Moody, and from Sysimos, Amber Nasland. Ready? Let's talk to the pros. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Content Pros. Really excited to be joined by Jason Keith from Social Fresh. Jason Keith is my also longtime friend, content proliferator, and event mastermind. He is the CEO and founder of Social Fresh, which is a very cool company that does advanced social media training, and they put on one of my favorite marketing and social media events, the Social Fresh Conference. Um, this year, they actually just announced their 2015 conference, so hang out with them in Tampa Bay September 23rd through 25th this year, and I hope to see you there. So, Jason, thank you for joining us, and welcome to the show. Thank you. You just did all my pitching for me. I have nothing to do the rest of the show. Cool. Well, just sit back and relax. <laughs> this is what I'm paid to do, you know, content pros and everything. Um, so, listen, you started Social Fresh way back in 2008, and Social was still kind of uh, an internet toddler. Um, so, tell me how you think Social has changed from when you started that conference in, in Charlotte until now. Wow. So, it's a great question. I mean, adoption has just skyrocketed. When, when Social Fresh started as a conference, it was me coming from the agency world, coming from, I started my own agency and sold it and went into just doing consulting on my own. And in all three of those scenarios, it was pitching, pitching, pitching social and blogging and Facebook and MySpace and YouTube and hardly anyone like converting as a customer, right? They really wanted, people were hungry to know about it, but they just didn't have the trust and the education of what could be done in social in order to spend the money on it. So I was like, all right, well, let's, let's do a conference. Let's bring in a bunch of smart people that have made money on it that know what they're doing to kind of prove the case for potential clients of mine and just the region in the southeast at the time where I was living. And um, I'd say today that trust has been proven very heavily because you see an adoption rate that is super high amongst small business, amongst uh, Fortune 500, all across the board. And today it's more about tactical, how do we actually, you know, streamline this process, how do we iterate, how do we improve kind of a base level of social marketing that exists for a lot of people. I think the average business today is on uh, three social networks. So, you know, back then I think the average business was probably on point one social networks. So it's, it's just a night and day scenario. And Jason, there's been a huge difference in how you've grown the event and also changed speakers and the content you create and the content you try to bring in. So what has the growth and evolution of Social Fresh and your blog taught you about content? Well, that's a great question. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. When we did the first Social Fresh conference in Charlotte, uh, I really didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I had done events and I had a lot of connections. So the first Social Fresh was me bringing together all those connections and you know the cheapest venue I could find in downtown Charlotte uh, because I had you know no money. We spent a thousand dollars on the first conference and then reinvested everything from there. Um, so it was really just getting the smartest people in the room together. We did a lot of panels. We had two rooms. We had uh, all kinds of networking kind of built in. Uh, and I'd say I've learned a lot about events over the years, but I've learned e even more about how to craft kind of the story uh, and the experience of, an, of a conference and the education that comes along with that. I think the biggest lesson is to put as much focus as we can 
on the quality of the stage, and that means technically, uh, you know, from the lighting to the audio to the decor even, and making sure that's the focus and that's where people are really just, uh, they know that's what the experience is about, down to, you know, helping our presenters. We, pre we provide presenter training now, um, so I know that, you know, even, so, even though someone's really super smart in the industry, we can still help them tell a better story on stage. Uh, and we, we also uh, have made the segments of our presentation shorter uh, because I think it's, it's really important to distill our lessons, uh, especially in an in-person format because people start to lose interest after you know, 30 minutes or so. They start to get a little bored. They start to get a little sleepy. So if you can keep it short and super high quality, I think that's, uh, that's really great. Uh, for the blog... You know, we just keep experimenting on the blog. Uh, today, we're really focused on our podcast. Like you guys are doing this great podcast here. Um, so, we've never really tried to make money off of our content online until this year. And this year, uh, the way we're going to try to monetize our blog is through our podcast. And so far, that's been going really well. And it, it's really allowed us to build, I think, a more emotionally invested relationship with our audience, which has been really fun. You've got an interesting sort of um, spectrum of content going on here because one of the debates that we have a lot on this podcast is the difference between um, short form content, long form content, what sorts of things have the biggest impact. And in at the Social First Conference, you're just talking about having shorter sessions where you can captivate people's attention and keep them there. So how do you balance the kinds of things with shorter form content like um, podcasts and blogs and and pieces of uh, conference with longer form detailed things that people need to learn from. Yeah, no, I think that's important. The uh, So, you know, one, one of the reasons we have short form content at the conference is because we listen to our audience um, and, you know, people just didn't get as much out of longer sessions. We have longer sessions, you have two things that potentially go bad. Uh, the person's interest wanes or the speaker sucks, right? Um, and if the speaker sucks, it's much better to have a speaker on stage for 12 minutes to 25 minutes if they suck than it does for 60 minutes, right? Uh, so it's a little bit of a quality control operation there, even though we do a really great job today uh, about making sure all of our speakers are amazing. You know, maybe three years ago, we had a little harder time doing that and making it shorter segments was really great. Um, but then we listened to our attendees again, and they did want those deeper dives exactly like you're talking about. So what we've done this year is we actually added an optional day. Because um, the problem with doing those really you know, uh, intensive uh, education opportunities where you're more instructional, almost, uh, almost like a college and teaching a class, right, is it's more expensive, it's more time intensive, you just have to put a lot more into it uh, for, to get the value to the end user. Uh, so because of that, we we wanted to make it separate and we wanted to make it an opportunity for the people that really did want to dive into specific topics and get uh, a more instructional education on those topics. Most people that go to a conference have drastically different reasons for attending. Some people just want to go to Florida or California where our conferences are. Some people want to get out of the office. Some people want to network. Um, you know, you'd be surprised how many people are just there for one speaker and don't really care about the rest of them. Some people don't care about any of the sessions, and some people are taking voracious notes on every speaker, right? Um, so I think what we've done is we found a great balance by making the main two days of our content um, short, really deep dives uh, into very niche areas uh, with like 25 minutes talk time on stage or less, kind of like a TED style. And um, we've added this extra day for the people that do want that deeper dive and that deeper education. Jason, the last few podcasts we've done have hit on marketing education, and 
you're providing an educational resource. You've done it even before you tried to monetize any content. I know that it's something you care about. You survey your audience. You try to make sure that everyone's learning. What are you seeing in the marketing profession right now? Where are people the weakest and where do they need the most help? Is it's so far as teaching their audience and, and kind of bringing education within their content? Is that the question? Yes, I'd say so. I mean, what are the the areas you're seeing where you want to have more content, more educational resources as it pertains to marketing? Yeah, so I'd say social ads is, is a big lacking topic-wise. Um, I think uh, community building, like true community building of not you know getting a million fans but getting a thousand fans that really know you very well and you have a regular conversation with and would recommend you to everyone I think the tactics and um, just the the kind of revenue strategy behind community building is something that's not taught very well on most blogs uh, I think you know you, you can go anywhere and find out about SEO and find out about optimizing a blog post and, and lead generation but finding how to do a really great Facebook ad campaign uh, Finding out how to do, uh, you know, a really great Facebook group for your power users or your best customers. I think those are two topics that we try to cover, especially at our conferences and our blog, uh, that that are probably due t- for some uh, some deeper dives that I don't see very often. Jason, do you find that the the areas that you're referring to in terms of where you wish there was more content in your event, do you find that that's where overall knowledge in the industry is lacking or are there other areas that content marketers are sort of swinging and missing where um, where we need to be improving because I, I still feel like we're in kind of early stages of people really understanding the, the power of all of this stuff and we're throwing darts at dartboards so you've been exposed to so much instruction and so much uh, smartness to this point where do you where do you think we as content marketers are still missing the mark yeah so for me, I think the biggest opportunity is to focus on fewer pieces of content. And uh, Chris, Chris and I have talked about this, and I think there's various um, various perspectives on this. And, and it, it obviously differs if you have huge resources. You know, if you're a HubSpot of the world or you're Dunkin' Donuts or Oreo and you've got a huge agency or a huge staff that can create tons of content, that's one thing. Um, but I think most companies, most small to medium businesses and even a lot of uh, corporations have small teams uh, they have one person in charge of content marketing or one person in charge of content and social and search. Um, and they are stuck in this thing that I call content envy where they're seeing great content from so many different brands that they want to, that they aspire to produce. And I think uh, they would be behooved to take a breath, step back, and really you know, focus on what you know, the industry now terms their home run content, uh, getting one big... Uh, I call it 60-hour uh, content, spending a lot of time on one piece of content and then you know, breaking it apart, redistributing it. It's not really a new idea, but I think finding opportunities to uh, keep your post frequency, keep your brand out there um, in ways that in- include automation and curation and, and these steps that can save you time, and then taking the time that you save and spending more of that time on one big strategic piece of content, whether that's once a week, once a quarter, per person, per team, you know, it depends on how big your resource bucket is, uh, but really having whatever that, uh, whatever that man hour block that you have is, dedicating that to one really big piece of content that has a lot of strategy behind it and then figuring out how to repurpose and, and just bang people over the head with that content. I love it. 
hitting on home run content, that gives us a perfect opportunity to introduce one of our sponsors that helps make the show happen, and that's Proof HQ. Proof HQ helps you to collaborate on all of your content. It's a web-based system. It allows anyone from your team to work together on content executions. You can do blog posts, ebooks, slide shares, infographics, whatever you define home run content to be. It's a tool that will help you work together with everyone in your organization to produce it. It will help you be more productive and more creative when you use Proof HQ. You can check them out at bit.ly slash proofhq. Jason, I'm really curious, what defines or what is the definition of success for Social Fresh as it pertains to content? I know that you do have your conference where you can surely track revenue and tickets sold, but what are the metrics you're watching for your blog and for the conference? Yeah, so uh, we watch uh, email conversions. Um, we watch podcast downloads. We watch, uh, you know, we haven't figured out how to track it yet, but something we're looking to do now is trying to measure the emotional connected uh, kind of social fresh fan. And we're trying to find a way to quantify which of our fans are really um, are really kind of invested in social fresh on an emotional level, meaning they're listening to the podcast, uh, they're, they're tweeting out articles when we don't ask them to, they're recommending social fresh conference to people that are asking what conference to go to, things like that. Um, and we're, we're playing with ways to do that. We're pl- I think in the past we haven't been great at really bringing that emotional community together as well as we have maybe in the last six months. I think the podcast is a big part of that. Just making it a goal was a big part of that. And I don't know if we have a great metric for that right now. It's kind of anecdotal success that we're seeing. Um, so we're looking for new opportunities to measure that. Um, and we do have a revenue opportunity. We, you know, socialbrushacademy.com, we relaunched and we, it allows us to sell training online now. We're selling old conference videos. We've got new training that we're developing, like our content marketing template. Um, and then the conference, we have opportunities to sell sponsorships and tickets, and that's very easy to see success. Um, but for the conference, what we really measure is our feedback forms. And we do a lot of feedback. Um, we get all of our speakers, all of the elements of our conference rated by every attendee, and we uh, really pay attention to what they say and what they, uh, how they measure success with whether it's numerical numbers uh, for, you know, rate this one to 10, rate this one to five, would you recommend it to a friend, or whether it's, um, you know, what did you think was the best part of the conference? Questions like that that are more uh, subjective. Measurement makes me happy. It really makes me happy. <laughs> so, um, but you, you uttered a word earlier that I think is probably more controversial in the world of content, and that's automation. And one of the things that, um, you know, in the earlier days of, of social media, I think automation was this um, pariah. Like, God forbid you automate any of your content or because um, the cries would be, that's not authentic, that doesn't foster engagement. Um, what's your what's your stance on automation? Where does it fit into the overall content picture? And how do you use it effectively without compromising that community engagement aspect that's so important? I think automation is is one of the first steps of content marketing because there's so much noise out there. There is a lot of value in having a message out there uh, on a regular basis and, and making sure you're in the news feed, making sure you're on, you know in Twitter in Facebook in the search results and uh, you know having a propensity of content having you know 
10 touches a day versus one touch a day, there's value in that. Now, is it the most important thing you do? No, but what it does is it saves you time and allows you to invest your time in the right direction. Uh, automation is not a dirty word unless it's the only thing you're doing, in my opinion. Uh, you also have to be engaging in a one-on-one -on -one, uh, basis because if you're not engaging one-on-one, -on -one, then you are not developing those true relationships with your fans, with your customers. Um, and without that, you're, you're really having to reinvent the wheel every time you go out to sell a product, every time you go out to sell a service. Uh, so, you know, like they, like they say, it may cost you $1 to keep a customer and $7 to get a new customer, right? Uh, so if that's the case, uh, you really should invest in your time in big strategic content and one-on-one -on -one conversations. And I think uh, automation is one of several things that can really help save you time while still getting your message out there uh, in a large degree. So with the bigger strategic home run content, inevitably there is more risk because if you produce it and it doesn't work, it's more time, more resources, more investment that could be down the drain. What would you say to a team that is looking at producing their first piece of home run content? How do they try to have that market fit? Yeah, it's a good question. I think intrinsically, you know, if they're paying attention at all, they know what couple of directions they might go in. Um, I think you have to have something unique to say, uh, you know, so for our content marketing template, when we went after that, you know, there's a lot of content marketing advice out there. We went very specific and, and taught people how to do, you know, one big piece of content, how to scale back everything else they're doing and told them to focus on one thing for the year. Uh, if they're a small business and focus on, you know, four big things for the year if they're not. And I think, you know, we, we did it in a way that was very unique. Now for, a business that's you know selling swimming pools or selling cars, um, you're going to know where your customer complaints are. You're going to know two or three directions that really make sense that are going to grab the attention of your customer. Then you just have to figure out something unique to say that's that's value oriented, uh, that has value for the customer and consumer in the title, uh, and and invest in that. I don't think it's that big of a risk. Even if you know it depends on what your strategy is. Whether you're trying to get emails, whether you're trying to build awareness, build thought leadership. Uh, whether you're trying to uh, get loyalty uh, out of your customers. I think working on a huge piece of content, uh, it depends on what you're replacing that time with, but typically you're replacing that time with a bunch of tweets and a bunch of Facebook posts that aren't doing much already. And I think even if you don't reach your goals of getting in front of a thousand people or don't getting, you're not getting 500 emails, you've really invested in something that's going to improve your, um, <clears throat> improve, improve your knowledge of an industry, improve your ability to talk to the customer, uh, and really teach you how to improve your content moving forward. Uh, so I think it's an experience that companies need to go through, even if they don't hit it out of the park or you know make a million dollars with with their first effort. I think it's um it's a learning curve that they need to go through uh, in today's kind of marketing reality. So all this great talk about accountability and measurement uh, gives me an opportunity to thank our other uh, content pro sponsor, which is Inbound Writer. Most blog posts and content uh, really fails to drive a whole lot of content uh, traffic to your website. So wouldn't it be great to know how good or bad that stuff will perform before you even write it? Inbound Writer does exactly that. It's a content analysis tool that forecasts how your content will perform based on analysis of your site, your competition, and even search engine results. And Inbound Writer will tell you what topics will work, which won't, and why, so that removes some of the guesswork from your content creation. And that means you can increase traffic and decrease all the time you waste, like Jason was talking about. So there 
right now they're offering uh, a cool free month trial of the tool. So head over to inboundrider.com slash content pros offer. Um, we'll go ahead and link that up in the show notes for you and you can check them out. So Jason, one other um, sort of aphorism we hear in content marketing a lot is um, when people say, well, which content uh, channel should I use or where should I be present on social with content? Everybody always says, well, it sort of depends on your goals and it depends on what's right for you. Um, which I fully and wholeheartedly agree with, but how do you figure out what channels are right for you? And how do you know whether you ought to be on LinkedIn versus SlideShare versus Facebook and make those decisions so you don't have to waste time? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think there's some easy, I think it's actually gotten easier um, to make that decision now. I think investing in Facebook, if you're just starting out as a business or you're not already successful on Facebook today, I would not recommend posting a ton of content to Facebook and expect a lot of organic engagement, right? So that you can post stuff to Facebook and you probably should be and you definitely should be amassing a fan base there that you can advertise to, but the real value of Facebook is advertising right now. Um, if you have the ability to engage a, a technophile audience, a media-related audience, a younger audience, you know, Twitter makes a lot of sense. If you're B2B, LinkedIn, and SlideShare make a lot of sense. I think there's some obvious jumps that we can make and we can invest... Um, you know, e-commerce money or women-focused businesses uh, on Pinterest. Um, if you're going after young consumers that you need awareness for, uh, Instagram is is very key. Fashion, Instagram. Uh, so there's easy pockets to point people in. Uh, I think that make a lot of sense. Um, really, I think focusing on less is is also the key here. Now you can be posting everywhere, but I think you focus your engagement in your community building on one social network if at all possible. I love that, Jason. And I think that's a big struggle for most social and content practitioners because a new network pops up. We all read the blog post. A hundred of them come out within one week and everybody's saying, hey, you need to jump on Ello or man, Meerkat is really going to disrupt everything. And it's so easy for most people to follow that and say, whoa, what's our Meerkat strategy? How do we apply that to our brand? When in actuality, the ones who pull that off are usually the big budget brands that you mentioned, right? The people with the resources yeah. to really jump in and conquer everything. So, you know, what would be that one thing you would say to folks who may feel like they're missing out? That FOMO is what people call it now. I think the people who are in touch with trends like YOLO, FOMO, the people. fear of missing out, <laughs> the people. Yeah. I am not yeah. one of the people, but I'm very curious for people who are scared they're going to get left behind. What would you say? Yeah, well, I think you know the best the best thing to combat that is to have a community that can back you up, uh, is to have a community of customers, of stakeholders, uh, of media contacts, of of everybody you do business with in some way or another. If if none of those people are on that social network, then don't worry about it, right? Forget about it. If nobody you know is on Meerkat and none of your customers are on Meerkat. Uh, then don't worry about it. I mean, if they're on Twitter and they're tuning into Meerkat, so pay attention to that. But just think about how your audience, your existing stakeholders, uh, are touching those social networks. Uh, you don't have to be first. You know, there's nothing wrong with grabbing a, a username on a network and and saying, you know, you're not going to touch it until it gets relevant for your business, right? I think a way to really combat it is to look, you know, we have a Meerkat strategy at Social Fresh. It's to talk to people that are just hitting Meerkat out of the park and spending all day on there and seeing how we can get them to mention Social Fresh more often, right? And having conversations with them, letting them use the Social Fresh Meerkat account, letting them come to the conference in Meerkat for us 
or Periscope or whatever the thing that's going to be invented next week is, right? Um, so I think having a community you can engage, having stakeholders you can engage, really allows you to diffuse the time you spend on these new networks and really thinking about and understanding whether it's actually going to have an impact on your current audience or not is, a, is an important filter to put on top of it. Jason, one other thing you're often very exposed to in your work is all of the new and upcoming um, sort of content technologies that are out there helping businesses manage this process. Are there any that you actually love and you think are going to stand the test of time? Because I know our listeners always love to hear um, what the experts are using. So what kinds of things do you actually recommend? Um, that's a great question. So I think, um, you know, uh, since we mentioned Meerkat and Periscope, I do kind of think those are going to be around for a while. I think there's something unique that's happening with these two platforms. And I don't know if there's a few others that are interesting um, that aren't really getting as much attention yet, but this whole being able to share your live video where you are and engage people while you're doing it is very interesting. And we're seeing a lot of engagement time there. Um, I'll stick to social networks for a second and say Snapchat is also very interesting to me. I would have told you a year ago I didn't get it. Um, not that I get it today, but I see, <laughs> I see how much time um, teenagers and increasingly 20-somethings are spending uh, with their thumb on their screen on their phone. And if you don't know Snapchat, you, you're watching these kind of video stories on Snapchat from your friends, and you have to hold your thumb on the screen in order to play them. And the engagement there is just through the roof. The engagement on Meerkat and on and on uh, Periscope is through the roof. So you think about, you know, you're writing a blog post. Someone spends, you hope, three minutes with it. Maybe they spend, maybe they read half of it and it's a minute and a half. Um, on Periscope and Meerkat and Snapchat and on podcasts, podcasts another one I'll throw in there that's interesting. People are spending 10, 20, 30, 60 minutes with a brand or with a personal brand, right? Uh, so I think these engagement times are very interesting and, and great opportunities. Technology-wise, you know, it's all over the map. I think keeping it simple, you know, the trend that I see with people that have been in content marketing and social marketing for years and years and years is they're using fewer tools than they were last year and the year before, and the year before right? Uh, we do a con we do a, um, a tool audit every year. Uh, for Social Fresh, and we go through everything we're using technology-wise, both on the marketing side of the house and on the logistics side of the house, and we see what we what can we cut, what can we replace, what can we um, improve upon, um, and change our you know our subscription plan for if we're paying for it. And I think that's something everyone should do, and really see what you're getting value out of. I think uh, things like Hootsuite and TweetDeck and Buffer are mainstays. Uh, a tool that I, that I've um, started checking out recently is Edgar. Uh, which is very kind of, uh, it's very early days for them. I'd say it's almost kind of still a beta product, um, but it's really interesting. It and it's not doing anything super new. It, what it's doing is it's kind of replacing what Argyle Social did. It's replacing what um, uh, several tools have done in the past that have kind of fallen by the wayside, which is it's allowing you to schedule automated content in intelligent ways. So setting up buckets of content that schedule in these times of day or this often, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I think that's a very interesting tool, one specific I'll throw out there. Great stuff as usual, Jason. Our time is coming to a close, which leaves us with our final question. The most important of all, what did you want to be when you grew up? Um, you know, I, I have a couple answers to this, uh, and I'll, I'll I'll stick to two. I probably have like four or five that I remember when I was younger. But I, I remember specifically wanting to be a writer when I was younger, which I guess technically came to fruition, and uh, the other one didn't really happen, but I wanted to be a race car driver. Um, 
although I, I was racing uh, Legends cars at the age of 14 before I had my driver's license and almost wrecked one a couple times. So I guess technically I had a little taste for that one. Uh, but those are definitely the two that I probably remember most vividly. <laughs> Everybody stay tuned on Meerkat for Jason's live streaming race car videos um, exactly. coming to a uh, cell phone near you. Anyway, thank you guys so much for joining us for this an exciting episode of Content Pros. And thanks, of course, to the outstanding Jason Keith for joining us today. You can find more about Jason, his conferences, his training, and all the other awesome stuff he talked about today over at socialfresh.com. You can also check out more episodes of Content Pros over at contentprospodcast.com. Subscribe on Stitcher or iTunes. We would love that. And we'd, of course, love it if you'd leave us a review. I'm Amber Naslin from Systemost. My co-host is Chris Moody from Oracle Marketing Cloud. And we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Content Pros. Thanks for tuning in to Content Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentprospodcast.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. Content Pros is sponsored by Oracle Marketing Cloud, Sysimos, Proof HQ, and Inbound Rider, and is produced by Convince and Convert. Find more great shows like Content Pros at marketingpodcast.com, the first search engine for marketing podcasts.